Hello everyone and welcome to Final Show. I'm John, the executive producer here, and I've just got a few pre-show notes for you. First of all, I want to let everybody know that our addresses have changed. Uh, our Twitch channel has changed from Sinstaku to twitch.tv slash finalshowfilms, and our YouTube channel has also changed to youtube.com slash finalshowfilms. Next, we want to thank our $20 tier supporters on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash films, by the way, if you want to go throw a couple bucks our way. That's going to be Cat Waterflame, Antitonic, Samantha Bates, and Maureen Monty. Thank you guys for that. Also, our website is in the process of getting updated. So go take a look at finalshowfilms.com. We've got Mara and Jeremy are working on updating all of our stuff there, making it look nice and like a modern website and frankly they know what they're doing far better than i or austin ever did so if you want to check out the things that are changing over there you go do that follow us on twitter at final show films for updates uh for all future things including things that are going on with our website and they're going on with the patreon page and things that are going on live as we stream them uh, as well as our podcasts and everything else so thank you very much for watching y'all have a good day Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 41, where we're talking about Critical Role, episode 40, Desperate Measures. I'm John, at Johnny Bates on Twitter. With me today is Jack. Hey, everybody. I'm Jack, at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. <laughs> and Jeremy. What up? Uh, my name is Jeremy. I am at JThomas411Mania on the Twitter feeds. And this is our second take uh, for those of you... <laughs> Who are familiar with our uh, ability to tangent? Because um, we got too far off base last time. We got, we got, and we had the episode name wrong. We had the episode, we had the episode name wrong. We got really far off base within the first ten seconds, and my daughter woke up. So it was a combination of things. We're like, you know what? Let's just hit the reset button. Anyways, so we are a professional pot. We are. <laughs> The only thing you really missed was my dissertation on what live to tape means and how it applies to porn most of the time. So yep. this week, uh, the episode of Critical Role is stars Laura ba is stars Laura Bailey as Vexalia, <laughs> Talison Chaffee as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Lena Bryan as Vaxel, Don Marisha Ray as Caleb Travis Willingham as Grog, Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. We are missing Sam Regal as Scanlan. Uh, when last we left off. Some heavy shit happened. And I mean <laughs> Everything that... Everything blew up. And I mean that both literally and metaphorically. Because uh -huh. the size of Thordak, I don't really want to know how big of a shit he takes. It's gotta be massive, though. Now, that's the cool thing about red dragons. There's so much overt oxidation in the digestive system that the, the shits are actually quite small and uh -huh. very dense. Mostly ash. <laughs> It's just now I'm picturing like deer pellets, <laughs> uh -huh. but yep. it, but it's still large comparatively. So it's like you yeah. know a boulder sized piece of shit just drops. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> There's a long list. I, I was a biology major. I automatically start thinking about shit like this. And I'm from the south, so I know what deer shit looks like. Anyways, right. <laughs> <laughs> in a perfect world, Jeremy, nobody would need to worry about poop. <laughs> but we don't live in a perfect world. We live in an We're trying, world. though. Anyways. So, yes. Uh, a group of dragons dropped on the city of Iman in the middle of a uh, governmental reconstruction, re restructuring would uh -huh. be the correct term, I believe. Yeah. Uh, as... Emperor Uriel announced that he was basically turning, basically unilaterally turning uh, his uh, his uh, uh, monarchy into a democracy or a republic. What did we What did we determine last week? Our last episode was it a re republic or a democracy? It was definitely a republic. Mm -hmm. Republic yep. turning his turning his uh, his his monarchy into a republic, and sort of in in protestation to that four dragons dropped on the city 
I don't know if it was in protestation to that. I think it was more of just a, a happy coincidence that yeah, they were like, actually, how about a fascist dictatorship instead? I mean, that sort of lines up with a protest in that the dragon said, no, we're doing it this way, and everyone died. I mean, it's not it's not like they, they had advanced knowledge of this. It was like, well, we were going to go fly to Marquette. But because of this, no, fuck it, obstruction time. Well, I mean, but to be fair, a lot of spontaneous protests don't have prior knowledge of what they're protesting. It's just a thing is announced and then protest begins. That's fair. And a lot of protesters aren't necessarily protesters as much as people who are like, ooh, what's going on here? Yeah. And so this is less of a protest, more of a riot, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I accept riot. <laughs> yeah. So the dragons have a riot in protest to the change of government. <laughs> <laughs> Resulting in the death of hundreds. Because it's dragons. You only need about three of them in order to start a really impressive riot. It's right? true. It's true. Equally impressive. If you have some chromatics, their raves are awesome. <laughs> because they themselves become the disco ball. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> what were we talking about again? Oh, yeah. Uh, dragons attacked. Dragons rioted on Iman, and the party escaped. Folks, it's been a long week already, and it's just Tuesday. It, it is. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, dragons, dragons attacked Iman. The party escaped back yep. to uh, Mount, uh, Castle Grayskull. You were about to say Mount <laughs> I was about to say Mount Grayskull and then Fort Grayskull. I had to go through two different... Words that go before Grayskull. Castle Mayhem? What? Castle Mayhem! Uh, that's that's on you guys. Uh, anyways. Also, not anything the listeners would know about yet. Um, Like that's ever stopped us before. That's fair, that's fair. So, having retreated to Castle Grayskull, uh, is where we pick up with the party uh, basically freaking the fuck out. Uh, yep. Lots of people freaking out. Lots of people blaming themselves, as are want to do when people in mask, when people with large amounts of power and uh, 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 self confidence issues are affected by anything. Um, and at the beginning of this whole thing, as they're sort of freaking out, trying to figure out what to do, there's a ruckus outside that uh, they go out to investigate and find that there are uh, a whole lot of people that have fled Iman trying to seek shelter in the castle with the castle guards on the walls trying, you know, keeping them out at the moment while they try to get orders from uh, the members of Vox Machina who previously told them to not let anybody inside. <clears throat> so they run out and start trying to get people in. They open the gates and people start pressing in to try to get through the wall gate when a white dragon arrives to uh, attack. Um, and the party goes into combat with this white dragon who very quickly kills almost all the people that were seeking shelter here with one impressively large blast of ice, also killing Trinket in the process. Unconscious, not dead. Hmm. Unconscious, not dead, but close. Frozen You're very in close. place. Uh -huh. um, after fighting it off desperately uh, in a very rapidly determined to be losing battle, the voice of the giant red dragon sort of erupts uh, from Iman, telling the white dragon to leave them alone and go do what he's been told. I believe the green dragon joins... Uh, shortly, sort of halfway through the battle, and is also ushered off. Um, the one that breathed poison and killed hundreds of people right in front of their eyes previously. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it really sucks being a commoner and or a refugee in a D&D &D campaign. That's it, all I can say. I mean, it sucks being anyone when dragons attack, really. Mm -hmm. Not just yep. commoners and refugees. Anyone that has less than 10 hit dice. Mm-hmm. Which is most but of the population. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's an interesting dynamic interaction to where you start to see that because 
there's there's the lore that chromatics while they may work together they don't cooperate or get along very well and that's very very clear here where the the white and possibly the green who might be present are are ordered away from attacking and getting distracted by this castle that they found <laughs> and the red literally tackles the white one off the castle which is impressive yep uh the red dragon announces his eminent domain over all of Taldore, using Iman as his new seat of power, and claiming that he comes bearing mercy uh, for all of those who would be his new subjects, and if they don't like his mercy, then uh, he's not going to switch to an attack, but will instead just incinerate you. Waiting to see I mean, yeah. how I was waiting to see how long it would take Jeremy to react to the Overwatch joke. I miss the Overwatch. Uh, if if they don't like his mercy, he's not going to switch to attack. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was okay. That was, now it, I, now it I was, hear it. It was a walk, <laughs> but, but that it was, was there. That was a little bit of a journey. Yeah, to get to that to get to that punchline. It wasn't really. It was just a few sentences. Uh, a few words. Um, anyways. Uh, so yeah. Basically, he brings mercy, and if you don't like it, fuck you. Is the entirety of the Red Dragon's statement. I mean, that's more of an Overwatch joke. Because <laughs> I yeah, play mercy. But, and if you don't like he, it, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> But the Red Dragon's version of Mercy is definitely Battle Mercy in this case. Yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the Valkyrie other two Mercy. Valkyrie Battle. Mercy. The other two, the mm-hmm. other two dragons fly off, and what remains of the people in the castle retreat to uh, the lower levels. At this point in time, Grog, pulling Percy aside, says, hey, look, we've got a skull in the basement that can probably grant us a wish to help with this. We should deal with this. Percy says, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Let's go check it out. Uh, Bring two people with us. Or one person, whichever. Uh, So Grog goes and gets Vax uh, to bring down to assist with the talking to a skull which Percy goes ahead and does without them, which initiates some whispers between uh, Mercer and uh, Talzin, which we're not quite privy to what was being said, but pretty certain it runs along the similar lines of what was said to Grog previously, which I'm pretty certain is, if you release me, I'll grant you power. Which Percy doesn't seem too keen about. Um... Grog comes it's to- almost like he's 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 had that sort of interaction before and it didn't turn out well for him. Yeah. Uh, Grog comes back with Vax and they have a conversation about uh, what to do next. Grog is very passionate about using the skull, setting whatever's inside it free to wish away the dragons. Percy and Vax, uh, sort of uh, in conjunction with that, are on the, that's probably not the best idea because we don't know if what we're releasing could be worse. Maybe we should find somebody to tell us what it is. This this discussion escalates when Vex moves into, comes into the room. Uh, and the discussion turns into outright hostility shortly thereafter as Grog attacks Vex, who, uh, uh, while Percy attacks Grog, and the party begins to fight. So do either of you in particular, for no real reason other than reasons that exist, like to talk about in-party fighting? (laughs) Oh, God, where do I start? Uh, okay, so these are there are two, two very different things that can be discussed here. Mm-hmm. We can talk about this in terms of a role-playing game, <clears throat> or we can talk this in terms of narrative. Why not? Because those are both. two very different topics. Why not yeah. both? Okay, so talking about both, um, generally I'm in favor. Uh, not eh, handled a certain way. 
But that is a qualifier that applies to everything. So when I say something like that, I'm always saying it in terms of if it is handled well. Um, not if it is handled in a lazy manner that alienates the, 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 the listeners slash players. Um, I think that, you know, this is sort of the, this is sort of to use the, to go to the genre that we go to very often. Um, this is sort of the, uh, Marvel versus DC debate. A little bit. Um, whereas DC has definitely changed that up over the last probably 10, 10 15 years. But for the, there is a reason why Marvel is, is often referred to, or specifically the Avengers, at least until they became the preeminent superhero team in mainstream minds, were usually referred to as the Dysfunctional Justice League. Because they were the ones who were who were generally at each other's throats, where during Silver Age and all the way up through probably, uh, probably Final Crisis, maybe or not uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, maybe a little bit after that, maybe even a little ways after that. But um, DC's superhero teams tended to be a little more sure. There was conflict, and there would be there would be a little fighting here and there. So that a lot in, in uh, uh, New Teen Titans, but generally tended to be more a cohesive group, and the bad guys were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of the if we use that Marvel versus DC, the Marvel side, because a it's more realistic. B it makes these characters a little bit more relatable. Um, uh, because it's more, I call that one, a, a, and a half. Um, but it, there is a limit of storylines that you can do when it's simply the good guys versus the bad guys. When you throw tension, the possibility of tension within the rank and people disagreeing and people even coming to blows, eh, that opens up a wealth of potential storylines that you can do. And of course, you have to be careful because you don't want it to be, you don't want to, you have to find that balance between having that fight, having that tension, and turning off the the, the viewers or the players to, to... the storyline and the characters and, and so on and so forth. But generally, I prefer it simply because it's more option. And it makes for more interesting characters and in scene. Yeah, I'm I have a a similarity. Not 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 a complete copy, but similar to Jeremy in this is that conflict between members of a given faction um and i'm huge in factions in my storytelling the idea that the that everything is russian nesting dolls as far as social organization goes you know you've got people who agree on certain things you got people who disagree on certain things and that puts them in (coughs) a varying number of little venn diagram circles when you have people who are in one circle finding out that on another topic or from another point of view or philosophy, they happen to be in different circles. There's tension there. And when you're crafting a narrative, I always tend to come down on the side of narrative is king. Characters are there to serve a narrative. Um, but having those characters embody the various ideas, concepts, philosophies, and positions that you have running through your narratives, having them coalesce around different themes depending on which character they are, gives the audience a face and a a concrete framework for these otherwise abstract, intangible concepts. 
and having somebody who embodies one side of the coin versus another allows a writer or a creator to frame a conversation that otherwise they would have to hope that the the reader or the viewer was having with themselves in their own mind. The idea of story in and of itself at its most basic level, in my opinion, is one of communication. You have an idea, you have a concept in your mind, and you are trying to put that same concept framed in a certain way according to what sort of thoughts you as a creator have had about this concept into the minds of other people. It's idea transmission. Um, that's that's the point of language. That's the point of narrative. That's the point of, of art, in my opinion. Other people have different ideas on, on what the point is. And that's great because that's good to have more than one idea. But... In order to do that, you can set it up in a fairly passive, presentary sort of way where, like Jeremy was talking about, you have the good, the bad, and there's exactly two sides, more or less, at its most simple form. And they come into conflict and one wins. That tells a very basic sort of storyline. That's the type of storyline that generally most of us start out telling when we're young children, when we're playing pretend, when we're, you know, using our toys or our imaginations or or interacting with our with our younger peers in our developmental stages. That's how we start out, because it's a very easy way to to categorize the world. Black and white uh on in terms of absolutes, what's good, what's bad, who's right, who's wrong, the right point the right side wins the wrong side loses but when you start to develop and experience more of the world and you start realizing that people that you agree with on one side or the other may disagree with you on other points and people that you would consider to be fundamentally opposed to some of your most basic beliefs truths and values actually agree with you on some other things, which is a little disconcerting the first time you run across it for most people, but does happen and probably has happened to everybody who's listening to this. That sort of nuance and shades of gray and conflict is much more reflective of actual human experience. And so having that done well is very is very satisfying because when you come to a story that you like and that also seems grounded in parallel to your own experiences that's kind of an ideal for for a creator presenting to an audience this is something that i have told that i care about that resonates with my audience and they care about it too. And now we have everybody caring about the same thing in slightly nuanced, but very similar ways because of how we were able to craft and transmit these concepts between our separate minds and consciousnesses. That's what I tend to strive for in my storytelling. And the idea that you have various characters who are personifying different ideas gives you the tools to identify the different ideas that are all competing for um attention and 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 pathos and empathy amongst the audience and it gives people concrete figures to latch on to to say, this is the part of the story that I identify with most. This is the part of the story that speaks to me and my experiences most. And and seeing people be able to gravitate around those things and accrete their, their passion around certain characters is always very, very satisfying to me, where, which is something that you generally don't see when you've got a simplistic view of these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, and then everybody's just in one of two camps. I agree or I don't. Yep. I have the different stance here. Yeah. Uh, primarily because I, I, gen- I generally, I agree that 
Party conflict is important. Internal internal conflict amongst the heroes or the protagonists or whatever uh, is an important aspect to narrative storytelling. However, I find that when it's done realistically, it's done poorly. And the reason I say that is because realistic arguments are not fun to watch, fun to be in, or fun to take part of. Because a realistic argument is three people, let's say, arbitrary number, three people, Person number one, I'm right, and I have to convince them that I'm right. Person number two, I'm right, and I have to convince them that I'm right. And person number three, I'm right, and I have to convince them that I'm right. And these three hardline, unchangeable stances will continue into infinity until someone gets punched, shot, or killed. I'm okay. And that's what real-life arguments tend to be like. Um, at least from my experience. And so a lot of the time, if you're not careful in writing and in role-playing things and stuff like that, you'll end up with a whole lot of circular arguments wherein the same three points get repeated ad nauseum until everyone involved is sick of it. There are ways to do it well, and I think in this particular episode it is done well uh, amongst the people there, but uh, because it is so very easy for this kind of thing to devolve into that sort of back and forth that doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't resolve anything, and just sort of everyone anchors into their position thoroughly, I'm not a fan of it. Well, and and I agree with you on that, John. Um realism and realistic i would say are different things yes absolutely. um and i think now we're treading a little more also into the shying away from the narrative aspect and into more of the the tabletop rp aspect because when you have when you have people who are embodying these on behalf of their characters it is very easy like you said to yeah. fall into that this is what i think well this is what i think well this is what i think back to square one again and we just run through the same three statements mm -hmm. with varying iterations over and over again that's where doing it right comes in and yeah. that's partially for me why narrative is king characters are secondary because right yeah if, if we're focusing entirely on the characters you're going to have a whole bunch of players basically saying my character thinks x and you can't change my mind fuck you um, yes. and that's not entertaining and that's annoying and that's, you know, and, and that is how conflict can very easily transpire in the real world. What, what I like about characters in fiction, however, is that they're malleable and they do what you as the creator, mm -hmm. assuming a single party production of, of whatever the narrative is, they do what you need them to do yes they're not people who have dearly held beliefs they are voices that you are using to puppet varying aspects who will only do so as long as you need them to do so for the actual thrust of the story yes so yeah in and that think... case sorry go ahead i think i think we're we're pretty much on the same page yeah because for for me, when I'm running a, a tabletop game and that sort of circular thing starts to happen, that's when I say, okay, my job as the storyteller, these three positions have been adequately voiced. We're not here to determine who's right. We're here to present three or however many conflicting viewpoints. But we're not here to resolve the thing. We're here to have these out there so that the audience can see the tension and start asking the questions in their own mind of who they think is right. But once those questions start being asked, the argument has narratively served its fucking purpose and it's time to be done. Which is when, as a storyteller, as a GM, I feel that it's it's that individual's responsibility to step in and have something happen to stop the argument not to just just and just to stop 
the argument, not to make a judgment call on the argument or decide the argument, but, you know, that's when the assassins crash through the window and it's really hard to keep the argument going while you're having to, you know, reband with your group of actual allies and fight off whatever the threat to your survival is or whatever might happen. I mean, you say that, but... I mean, well, I also do it, but yeah. (laughs) I also think... When we say party conflict, arguing is a very small subset of party conflict. Yes. Very true. Like, I, 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 it, it may shock you guys to know, but I tend to play contrarian characters. No. Um, Really? Or, or I won't even say contrarian because I think that's an unfair assessment of some of my characters. I tend to play characters who have very strong viewpoints about things. Mm-hmm. And yes, they'll get into arguments at times. And those arguments will be, will, will get close to becoming circular. And okay, I'll be honest, sometimes they do get circular. But there will become a point where my character will once they will will see that they're hitting a brick wall and they'll go okay fine go off like go stomp off to their room and then go do something that makes the argument null and void mm-hmm. perhaps in such a way that gets the entire group livid at them because they just went and killed someone or blew something up or made a deal or something like that. And there goes the other aspect of the, but it has moved past that point. And we get back into what I consider to be the, the more interesting aspect of conflict, which is not necessarily people who have different viewpoints on a goal or an ideal or something like that, but just dramatic and character dynamic tension, because that kind of thing builds uh, when everybody's, like we said, when everybody's agreeing, there's no real character depth there. I mean, there is, but that's not, that is not a place that is necessarily conducive to deepening your care and revealing Mm -hmm. more about your care. Yeah. Um, And I'll, when we're going to the narrative aspect of this, instead of the role play aspect, you know, realistically, that is the way some arguments go about. But if you're the absolutely dedicated to realism, get out of storytelling. Well, I bring that up primarily because I have read a lot of books mm-hmm. and not all of them are great. Right. Um, and and I and I want to bear this counterpoint because both of you have made this statement of, you know, in these character conflicts is where you know there's a lot of character depth that lies and you can explore the various aspects of your characters through mm-hmm. this conflict. That's not the only way to do that though. And of I find not. and I find that a lot of writers that I've a lot of new writers that I've read, um, whose work I've read tend to see character conflict as a prerequisite or a box to check. And that's when we get into the part where it's not being done well. It's being done not to serve a purpose, but to serve itself. I mean, yeah, poor writing is poor writing. Well, and, and character conflict as a whole is not something that ever needs to be done just to have it. No, of uh, and, course not. And 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 that's that's sort of the point I want to get across is that if 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 there is no real purpose to having it, you don't necessarily need it. That's not the that's not the only way you can get across these bits of information or this particular depth of character that you need. A party can a group of people can work together without devolving into a, a, a level of conflict that isn't necessary for your story. You just have to know whether or not it's necessary. Okay. Yeah. And, but I will, yeah. I, I will counter with this. Name one story, one single story, where there are deep, interesting characters and there's no conflict within the party. 
Uh, give me a second. Ever. Uh, to kill a mockingbird. Disagree. That it's good or interesting, there or that? <laughs> no, no, it's very good and interesting. I disagree that there's not conflict between the protagonists. I guess that depends on how who you read. There's as the a lot of moral I guess it debate. I guess it. Of... I guess it depends on who you read as the protagonists of the story. There's a lot of moral debate within within what I think we can all agree is the positive side there. Um, and a lot of question of are we uh, is is this something that you have to forgive me? It's eleven o'clock. It's yeah, eleven yeah, o'clock right. on a Tuesday night, and it's already been a long fucking week. But uh, there's a <laughs> lot of debate about the um, whether this particular is something is 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 a case to make a stand on and. Etc. That 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 comes into play. That's conflict. See, from what I recall, there are people who are telling him he shouldn't be doing this. Well, from and from what I recall reading it, none of those people were scout or who who I always feel like is the is scout and and her dad are the protagonists, and it's mostly a telling of the events from Scout's perspective. Mm-hmm. And her seeing the conflict of the antagonists in the story and her father and her family more than her and her dad fighting. Well, yes, no, the two, the two primary protagonists don't, but that, that's what I mean. That, and that's what I they're mean. Not, like, they're not quote unquote, the entire party. That that's, that's what I mean though, is like in that and particular there, story, there wouldn't be much to be some... gained from Scout and her dad fighting, like, infighting. But there is conflict between Scout and her father. Yes. And this is where I'm not, and, and I'm not talking, this is where I'm, this is, this is a reflection of the fact that their voices of differing opinions, even if they're not having a out-and-out confrontational argument. Right. But Atticus's response to the to the to the scorn and derision that's targeted at him from the other inhabitants of his circle scout's knee-jerk reaction is i should stand up and fight for my father's reputation for his honor and that sort of thing and atticus disagrees vehemently with that sort of position i don't believe it's a it's really it's a very internal conflict but it's a very clearly stated and placed in the narrative conflict with atticus on one side and scout on the other Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't necessarily affect overtly their relationship or their interactions quite as much as an actual verbal argument might there's there's plenty of protagonist v protagonist conflict, I would say, especially around that exact issue in To Kill a Mockingbird. And granted, I haven't read it since high school, so I may be slightly right. off. But and we're also, to be fair, we're also talking about a genre that is very different from what is essentially referred to as, as genre storytelling. Yeah, it's a lot in 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 what I would call mainstream mainstream dramatic storytelling uh uh grounded traditional the kind of stuff that you see nominated for authors it's no nice way to put it um, <laughs> award-winning <laughs> award-winning it's not fantasy sci-fi yeah. horror action etc noir etc it's it it's a lot easier to tell those kinds of stories and to because you're setting up sort of those stories are less of a a a a parable metaphorical nature uh in terms of getting their things across and and 
there are those are great stories. I I I love them, but one of the I think in in genre storytelling, it is a lot more difficult to 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 have real character depth and character growth and those kinds of heightened uh, uh, end of the world stakes sort of situation. It's harder to have that kind of depth and and um, uh, character, just character exploration, without conflict, if not moral debate conflict, personality conflict. Yeah. Uh, within the park. Yeah. I I just wanted to to yeah. offer that in his example of and I and I use that as an example because yes there is there is I wouldn't uh, there is conflict of of like of the again scout saying defend scout you know reacting one way and her father insisting on a different reaction but that's a very particular type of 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 and I guess I guess it is I guess it is still conflict um but it's not the it's much less overt. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the, I'm going to argue my point, or I'm just going to punch you in the face, or I'm just right. going to ignore your thoughts and go off and do my own thing, conflict. Oh, yeah. There, mm-hmm. there's, yeah. there are mm-hmm. many shades of, of, of mm-hmm. conflict. It's a much and more course, cerebral conflict. Yeah. And, and of course, the key to all of this is, if you can do it well, yeah, it works. Yeah. All right. If you can't do it well, everybody will notice. Yeah, if you can't do it well, don't fucking do it. Um, <clears throat> Ready Player One. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, what are these that could get you to end up? Not now, because I know you'll start. Okay. Well, g- g- coming from somebody who has n- who has legitimately not read the book and has only seen the movie, I will be very curious to hear because I've heard hints of it, but I've never we heard will, the full explanation. We, we will save that for Critical Thinking, Ready Player One. Yes. Okay. Um, AKA Jack goes off for three hours. Why <laughs> this is the worst piece of bullshit fiction created in the modern fucking era. Like I said, Fifty Shades of Grey. Save it for save worse. It, save it for critical thinking. Ready Player One. Anyway. I disagree without having read the book. <laughs> <laughs> or Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the party fights. <laughs> Um, uh, they and then they go on for a little bit. Uh, uh, Grog tries to tackle Vex, who as, as Grog and Percy agree to give Vex the skull. Then Vex is sort of in the middle of it. Then Grog tries to tackle Vex to get the skull. Percy pulls Vex out of the way. Grog tackles Percy. Percy gets up and grabs a hot poker. Keyleth and the rest of the party burst in and casts Hold Person on the three of them. It only works on Percy. <laughs> Um, and, and the situation devolves over the course of this conflict to basically Grog wants to use the skull, everyone else wants to not use the skull, and and also wants to get it, uh, at least not right now, they want to find out more about it, what it does, who it is, what the potential repercussions of using it could be, and then Allura and a friend arrive. Allura Vysorin and uh, Elementalist... I can never remember his name. Um, Drake, Drake Thunderbrand. Thun- yes, that one. Element- elementalist Dwarfy McDwarf Dwarf. Elementalist Dwarf McDwarf. Which is the best type of elementalist. Sorry, I love Drake Thunderbrand as a character. Like, of, of the minor NPCs in this campaign, he is probably one of my favorites. Yes. Because Victor is a major NPC, I'm sorry. <laughs> On a related note... If you do, if you are going back slightly to 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 the debate that just took, I have a lot of time. If you do, if you are in a situation, either as a storyteller or uh, when I say storyteller, I mean role playing narrator or a writer or whatever storyteller, um, and you have two characters. 
in the middle of an argument or 12 characters or whatever the case may be, and you can't figure out how to make them stop, throw in a beloved, very powerful supporting character. It doesn't even necessarily have, have to be walk beloved. Into the room. <laughs> that stops it usually right there. Doesn't even necessarily have to be beloved. Just powerful. I mean, beloved or powerful. There we go. When you they get can be stuck, one or the other. When you get stuck, drop a piano through the ceiling. Yep. Shake. Shit whatever up. your right, yeah. Whatever your piano and whatever your ceiling might be, the metaphor stands. And if it happens to land on a beloved, a uh, beloved family member of somebody's tragic backstory, all the better. All the better. <laughs> I love ending sessions with you see a dead body. <laughs> Anyways. Um so yeah, Alora and Drake Thunderbrand appear. Uh trying coming from Whitestone uh to sort of uh uh Alora's connection to the teleportation uh, circle in her tower was and the Alabaster Lyceum was suddenly severed. So she teleported herself and Drake uh to Grayskull Keep. Um, and uh, wanted to sort of check in and find out what was going on. Um, the uh, the party handed the skull to Alora or held the skull out towards Alora um, to investigate, and she sort of discovers that it is a uh, that there is indeed a being in the thing of what kind she's not certain. Um. And it, while it could, and that while it could indeed grant a wish, getting a wish from a source whose nature is unknown to you or unaligned with yours is potentially dangerous, in sort of the wishing on a monk on a cursed monkey's paw kind of way. I think she was able to determine that it was in all likelihood a Githyanki. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think yes. Githyanki was. Uh, the soul of a very old Githyanki trapped in a soul gym. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is also what the skull was, is a Githyanki skull? Yeah, it was a, it was the Githyanki skull, yeah. which probably informed her, her assumption there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, afterwards, they sort of broke the news to Alora that, hey, dragons be back, uh, or dragons be here, really. Uh, <laughs> here there be dragons. And uh, shit's fucked up. After a lengthy conversation uh, informing Alora of the names of the four dragons that they, uh, uh, the names, the three names of dragons that they had discovered, which was uh, Raishan, Umbrasil, and Vorigal, uh, they described to her the fourth dragon, the leader of these dragons, which she recognized as Thordak, the Cinder King. Um, a dragon uh from a long time ago that uh Alora and Drake Thunderbrand had a hand in sealing away in the elemental plane of fire. Mm-hmm. While they're having this conversation, Keyleth is getting more and more desperate about the fact that may- they might have fucked up and brought this upon themselves. Uh at which point they reveal to Alora Repressed guilt ho <laughs> at which yep. At which point they revealed to Alora that uh, they had killed General Krieg, who had been a dragon associated with this group. Whoopsie! Um, and so the party, believing that that was part of what brought them, brought them sort of down upon them, uh, brought them sort of down upon themselves, because Thordak had made mention that there that uh, Iman's guardians had brought this disaster upon them. Uh, we're feeling like, you know, that could very easily apply to us. To which Alora unequivocally stated that it wasn't because the only Guardians Thordak would have known would be her and Drake, which sort of instigated sort of a spiral of self-blaming between Alora and Keyleth. Yay, no, no, recrimination. No, it's my fault. No, no, it's my fault. No, no, don't worry, folks. To go around. Yes, you can all be at fault. It's okay. Yep. Every blame everything. Anyways, um. Anyway, the fire hose of exposition continues to spray down the entire room. And in the middle of this exposition, Alora realizes that her connection to Westron had been cut off, indicating that it probably had also been attacked. 
Alora and Keyleth scry on Pyra, uh, Pyra, the location of the fire Ashari that they had met previously while up in Vasselheim, uh, only to find that it had been destroyed in the wake of Thordak's escape from the elemental plane of fire. Uh, where the fire Ashari village once stood, there was now nothing but sundered wood, charred bodies, and trees flattened by an explosive blast. And the center of it, a lar- and the center of it, a large, ominous, flickering gash between the elemental plane of fire and the material plane. Uh, with various fire uh, denizens roaming out of it into the material world. With this information, uh, the party uh, uh, also, I believe, also uh, Alora explains that Thordak had destroyed Bryadin, um, which was the childhood home of Vex and Vax, and thus Thordak was the dragon that killed their mom. Because when you're tying together character dramatic backstories, you want to really wrap them up in a nice, neat bow. I mean... <laughs> of childhood trauma. <laughs> it makes for a great moment. Oh, yeah. No, it, it does. Absolutely, it absolutely makes for a great moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, of Sort of like how... Finding all the various uh, 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 spread out uh, uh, pieces of information and then tying them together to this one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm generally a fan of tying people backstories to meta plot it is it it is good especially when you can when you can do it and don't have people's backstories either so disparate or so varied that they're very hard to tie together or that they've gone through enough characters anyways (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about he's talking about the fact that he comes up with a really good backstory reveal and it turns out to have heavily involved four characters that have been cycled out of the plot and are currently on hiatus doing other things while we're playing other people who could really give a shit now yeah yeah things like that anyways <laughs> yeah it's like oh well that 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 would have been great for you know staphylis and a whole bunch of other people if Boldrin and whatnot if they were here but we're other people now so I mean all you gotta do is kill some people off dude that's I'm, all I'm saying I'm trying <laughs> I've Try been harder. trying you have no idea how powerful you guys are <laughs> anyways <laughs> oh yes we do <laughs> yes we do we're very much assholes I mean, about I can, it I, I can absolutely kill you all it would just be an unfair unfun stomping so right. the trick with DMing the trick to killing players by the way as a DM is finding a way to kill them in such a way that they feel they earned that death yes mm-hmm. as opposed and not to not just rocks fall everybody dies yeah so I find I find going back to that conflict thing Making the party seemingly liable to kill each other is a lot of fun. It is. And because you guys it's not your fault. You guys are, but every time I throw a lit match in there, you just ignore it, so Yeah, I don't have that problem on <laughs> with Ebron. <laughs> you guys are more than happy to potentially try and kill each other. I have a party full and of talk about it. I have a par- in front of each other. I have a party full of dry kindling that just keeps ignoring the open flames. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird. Anyways, um, so yeah, they, uh, they, 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 they. Words continue to come out of my mouth, even though there's nothing attached to them anymore. Uh, they had this conversation with Lady Laura, mm-hmm. uh, determining who Thordak is and vowing vengeance upon the dragons that have destroyed their home or dying or vengeance or death basically you know Chicago or bust that kind of thing um uh Vox Machina Lady Laura and Drake Thunderbrand decide that their next course of action should be to assess which if any of their allies are still alive as they decide to not take the skulls deal at least for now and that's where the episode ends this was as long an episode as any other episode, except much easier to wrap up because there were only three scenes. Yep. yep. <laughs> there was, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, dragon attack, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. That was sort of Pretty the much. three scenes. Pretty um, <laughs> it was like, yeah, 
big pile of shit punctuated by a dragon attack. As we sounds loop, like sounds like a Friday night for me. As we loop as we loop back around to the question of the size of Thordak shits. Anyways, mm-hmm. so hate you guys. <laughs> we know. We are fully aware of this information. Um, so yeah, is there anything you guys want to add on or, 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 or talk about here now that we've finished sort of the episode itself proper? I mean... <laughs> no, I think we pretty much covered it well. Yeah. I mean, this, there, there were a lot of really good moments in yeah. this in this episode and if you're if you're looking for examples of how to embody characters and how to weave them into a story in a way that's cohesive and 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 that sort of climaxes at a single moment this is one of those episodes in critical role for me Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know the exposition at the end is not just oh shit I haven't given you guys enough backstory I need to make sure that you know what's going on so that the story can go forward it's because the story is moving forward whether or not Alora gives them all the history on what's happened or not but this is this is one of those really good almost sort of season ending shots where they pull back to just give you an idea of the scope of what's happening here um and it's honestly almost it's at least as much for the audience as it is for the players yeah to sort of couch them in this really massive world that didn't feel small to begin with but now has just gotten that much bigger and it masterful narrative craftsmanship in my opinion especially mm-hmm. considering the the genre and the the tools that that Matt's working with for for his 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 craft here yeah yep oh and actually you know what i do have so one thing i think um and you kind of touched on a little less there but one thing i think this episode deserves a lot of a lot of praise for is it's something that is tricky to handle sometimes when you're talking about role playing it. And frankly, something that's tricky to handle when you're talking about, <laughs> you know, single creative force narrative storytelling is this is fucking amazing pacing because mm-hmm. we just had, you know, the, the episode just previous was the everything goes bad in the blink of an eye moment and huge, you know, huge um, uh, uh, action climax and et cetera. And this episode, you know, you imagine this as as narrative television um, goes directly off that and follows it in a, in in a in a high tension, so it pays off what what had happened at the very end of last of last episode. So you don't have you know. The, the concern that a lot of people stumble on, which is you have this big dramatic moment and then you rise, you need to ease back, but you just go straight ease back and you don't pay off that big moment. They pay it off with the, with the, uh, um, um, the is escaping, but the white dragon attack. Vorgal. Uh, Vorgal, thank you. Um, uh, you pay it off with that. And that's, you know, the first X amount of the episode. You do it in such a way that both sides walk away and doesn't undersell, doesn't doesn't cut the legs underneath out from underneath the the new big bads. And in fact, even perhaps enhances it a little bit. And then you take a breath, you have everybody take stock. And you go from there. It's such a wonderful feat of of letting the gas go for a little bit, easing off, and allowing for just a you know a bit of downtime before before at at the last majority of this episode, but before you launch into the next stage, the next act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, what it felt like to me very much was like a season recap episode, uh, a well done season recap episode, because we got sort of a 
we got a replay of what happened last time in the Vargal fight. Like the Vargal fight mm-hmm. was almost beat for beat the same fight from uh, with with Raishan. Um, you know, big dragon lands, roars, kills a bunch of civilians, and then leaves, or is told to leave. Um, uh, but in, in a slightly different way, so that we're reminded of it rather than just rewatching it. Uh, and then following that up with you know the fighting of what happened, the recollection of all the things that they've done that might have brought this to the po- to the point that it is, and then Alora sort of filling in the backstory that they don't necessarily yep. have. It really f- very much felt like you know last season on The Walking Dead. Here's a series of shots of the last episode, but done last in a, season but, on The Walking Dead, everything was depressing. Yeah, but done in a, done in a very well uh, a very well done way as opposed to the way The Walking Dead does it. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a whole other critical debate. Um, good, good and bad there. And I mean, for timing, the folks, we're just coming. We're we're for anybody who actually watches the show. We're just just after the Rick says goodbye episode. Um, hmm. So it's it's definitely an interesting time for The Walking Dead, where they say, "Okay, we know our readership has been our our, our viewership is is down and stuff." So we're and and our lead character, not that there is a lead character, but our lead character, um, there is a lead, one, there is a lead character. It's the it's the cowboy. <laughs> I mean, it is he he's presented as part of an ensemble, but he is clearly the star says you know what i want to spend more time with my family get me the fuck off this show in much nicer terms and he doesn't have any resentment so they say okay we know you guys are having view uh, that that we're losing viewers so you know what we're gonna do we're gonna take about the show and make a whole series of of movies for you to watch looking at Yeah, he's he he's a part of the he's a part of an ensemble cast the same way House is part of an ensemble cast in House MD. That no, it's not that bad. <laughs> it is not that high of a uh, of a level. He's clearly the star, but if how if uh, Hugh Laurie had left the show, you don't have a show. No, you don't. Andrew Lincoln leaves The Walking Dead. You still have Daryl. You still have Michonne. You still have the best character, aka Carol. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have Negan. Like there is still plenty of characters that you can you can build on. Do you ever? Have, do but do you want to have Negan? Yeah, as a view, as a as a member of Sanctuary, no. As a viewer, fuck yes. <laughs> Anyways, John Winchester. Fucking fucking Jeffrey Dean Morgan for every role ever. (laughs) (laughs) Because that man, oh my god, that man, okay, he's he he works almost exclusively within genre film or genre storytelling. So he has a certain style. So you wouldn't view him for like necessarily Oscar winning stuff, although I'd argue he could do it. But (laughs) you wouldn't view him for Oscar winning stuff, but (laughs) but he could do it. Um, but that man's like standard sort of, uh, like, like default character. Cause every actor has that default character mm-hmm. is best described as walking into every possible room. Dick first <laughs> <laughs> in the best possible way. Comedian, John Winchester, Negan, um, uh, whatever the fuck the name his character was in Rampage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even fucking Thomas Wayne in Batman v Superman, the three <laughs> seconds we saw him, there was a little swagger there. I just like the description of walking into every room dick first. Dick first. I mean, am I wrong though? No, nope, you're not wrong. I just. Remotely wrong. You're not wrong. That's just a really good descriptor. <laughs> no, uh, what 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 I want is a a 
a buddy cop, but they're actually like brothers or like uncle and nephew or something. Buddy cop show with a heavy like urban fantasy slant to it. Jeffrey uh-huh. Dean Morgan and Joe Maginello just running across, I don't know, South Chicago, kicking ass, taking names and killing vampires or something like that. That's all I need. I never know. I've never heard thought of this before, but now I need it. I need it more in my life more than anything else. <laughs> I mean, I have never thought about it, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan does look like he could be uh, Joe Manganiello's like older brother. He really could. Yeah, yeah, he totally does. I've never thought about it, but I've never put those two in my head side by side before now. But now I have. And your life is better for it. Yeah, yep. I mean, yes, that is, that is not a, it's not an inaccurate statement. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> we will, we will saunter out of this uh, episode dick first as, yes. as Jeremy puts it. <laughs> as Jeremy put it. <laughs> I'm gonna use that so much more now. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, like, like, yeah. You guys are gonna. Yep. You're gonna hear that for a while coming from me. <laughs> well, especially, awesome. con- especially considering the character you're gonna be playing on our next Thursday game. I've yeah. done a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> why does and John? Everybody why... else in Grand Terra or in, in Final Show Films is gonna hate me forever. <laughs> why, John? Why are the last four NPCs you've introduced sauntered into the room? dick first <laughs> I, I don't know why you're looking <laughs> because is there a better way to enter a room if you're an, if you are an npc but three of them are women that doesn't matter <laughs> who cares i think that doesn't matter <laughs> i want somebody i want somebody to describe dame judy dench as, as in, or, or give her the, the the stage direction of saunter into the room, dick first. I don't know if she'd do it, but I guarantee you that that is a that, that is an act. Well, I can guarantee you that is that is either been a stage direction or something that Helen Mirren has told a director they are going to uh, that she is going to do because that is kind of how she enters the room I mean if you're talking Judy Dench I would say that is how she played Lady Bracknell yeah 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 <laughs> oh I mean, the British version, whatever that is, but still very much Dick first. Oh. It's that cowboy. That was formerly Cowboy Strut. It's not Cowboy Strut yep. anymore. It's nope, Dick nope. first. It's Dick first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And on that note, I've been John. <laughs> and I'm Jack. And I'm Jeremy. I will see you guys next time. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.